Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. In this week's episode, I speak with Ryan Vanderhoot. Ryan is the founding photographer at Luminous Weddings, a boutique wedding photography company in Toronto. He has a passion for creating beauty and is an artist who has shown his work internationally. He is also obsessed with his wife in Golden Doodle and drinks way too much coffee. And I should also mention that Ryan has a soft spot in my heart because he was the photographer at my wedding. And we decided in advance to air this episode of Ryan before remembering that it also happened to be our anniversary this week. It is our two-year anniversary, so thank you, Ryan for capturing so much of the heart and soul of that night. And producer Atara here popping in to say happy anniversary, Noah, and to second Noah's thoughts of thanks to Ryan for capturing our beautiful memories from our wedding night. Happy anniversary. In this episode, Ryan discusses his erratic sleep schedule and comes up with some healthier bedtime habits. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. And may Ryan's change talk in some small way, inspire your own. Please note that this podcast is not therapy. Seek professional help if needed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Change Talk. I am with, I want to say a friend and a person who is a big part of a big day of my life. I'm speaking with Ryan from Luminous, Luminous Weddings. And uh, of course, that goes without saying, I'm not going to get too much into what Ryan does, but Ryan did photograph my wedding and uh, has a special place in my heart and my wife's heart because of that. So thank you so much for coming on and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It is very exciting. I remember having a brief, maybe I asked a question or I made a comment to you about just your work and how interesting I find it in general photography. And I'll give you the tiniest preface of, of why I am interested so much in it. Cause if you look at the grand scheme of history, uh, the idea of capturing a photo like what would that have meant to people in humanity? It would have been voodoo or magic, this idea that a moment could have been frozen and seen in eons later, hours later, minutes later, days later, centuries later. It just doesn't, it's not real. It's in some way still magical. And now today, of course, photography is everywhere. But I always try to take that step back and say like, whoa, this is, this is wild stuff. Do you think about that ever or is it just normal? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that taking photos has become normal for so many of us. But like, even back when I started, which was when I was 16, so a little while ago, uh, it was all darkroom. Uh, and you got that magic of your first image kind of appearing in the chemicals, in the red light. And 
having that sense of magic that's kind of inherent to that process of like this just white sheet of paper all of a sudden becoming incredibly complex. But way back in the day, um, speaking to like that incredible magic, um, at the beginning of photographs, there were, was a process called daguerreotyping and it was the first kind of common practice of photography and people did not know what they looked like back then. Oh my, uh, mirrors were, so mirrors were really for the wealthy uh-huh. uh, and um, daguerreotyping got relatively cheap to the point that most, a lot of people could, could get an image of themselves made. Uh, photographers would set up on the street in these little tents and you could come get a photograph of yourself. <laughs> and if it didn't work out, they gave you a photograph of somebody else because people just didn't know what they look like. I don't believe so, that. I actually, that doesn't make any sense to me. What about- I mean, I think they had the... somebody who is relatively similar. Right. Also, daguerreotypes, right. they, they don't exactly look like how you see yourself. You see like all the things under the surface of your skin. So it's, a, it's kind Whoa. of that old timey, timey look. But really like way back in the day, it was just like these guys on the street who, you know, if it didn't work out, it was like, well, this is, you know, here you go. Uh, what about what about so, on, what about on the what about on the water? What about a reflection? It just doesn't. It's distorted. Like, yeah, I think it was just. I mean, this was what we were told in photography history in university. So I yeah. don't know that they were pulling our legs. Maybe they were, but I think a lot. You know, a lot of like this was in the uh, around eighteen thirty, and a lot of you know working class people just like maybe if they did know what they look like, they just didn't have the best sense of it. Uh, so you know, when wow. you think of Versailles in the Hall of Mirrors, the idea that of having that many mirrors was really a signal of wealth. That's, it's just so weird because it's such a mainstream part of our everyday existence to know what we look like. Like we're watching each other right now, which is, which is so normal. And it, this is, it's just crazy. I, I'm just trying to understand and grasp the impact of photography on our consciousness, our self-consciousness. Yeah, and of course, the way that we look like photographed isn't exactly how yeah. we look like in reality, especially um, with those old-timey photographs or with professional photographs today. As you know, like you, some people just like shine in a photograph <laughs> and some people are like really good looking in real life and whatever reason their photo always looks like kind of busted. So, right. Yeah. So tell me about what work is like for you, H- how you spend your time when you're on on site from start to finish, what, what's a day in the life like for you? So typically we're reaching out, you know, at the beginning of the process, just as people are meeting us to kind of understand your their relationships, understand what drives them uh, and how they see themselves and how they see their relationships so that, um, you know, nothing is cookie cutter. Uh, everybody is unique and everybody's wedding day is unique. I think that like, uh, especially like pre-COVID, everybody was kind of getting to the sense that like weddings are like very cookie cutter in many ways and you have to try really hard to make it unique and make it your own. But everybody's day is incredibly unique because their relationships are unique to them. And at least from a photography standpoint, relationships are 99% of what it's all about. Um, so right. that's the biggest part of of our job is just like understanding what motivates people what is going to get them excited and how they see themselves so that's how it starts you get to you get a little bit of a taste of the people as individuals and as a couple and 
that can sort of set a little bit of a frame. And then, so at the very beginning of the day, we're kind of arriving to kind of like photograph the things. So it's going to be like the dress, the shoes, and some of that stuff matters to people. And some of it, like, it'll never end up in their album. They don't really care. But what we're really doing is getting a sense again of all the relationships in the room. So uh, mm -hmm. we'll know, like, usually at a wedding, if it's not, not the bride, which for us, it's typically not the bride will notice like who's carrying the stress that day because there's always like somebody <laughs> and it's usually a mom sometimes it's a dad uh sometimes it's a sister <laughs> and uh just to understand like what are the dynamics between the people so we're like quiet we're off in the corner but we're really like listening uh and getting a sense of like all the relationships and all the dynamics but um, that just because you see how indirectly without anybody noticing that you can diffuse some of that and just lighten people yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, part of it is just seeing who's really connected. Like, I may not necessarily know, like, oh, you and your sister are, like, connected at the hip, and that may be as, you know, important a relationship as with your maid of honor or, you know, your best man uh, to kind of understand that a bit, um, that they're the ones who are really, like, making sure you're taken care of in the morning uh, and are trying to help us out. And so that kind of clues us in as to like, who are your people uh, and how do they respond to you? So if they're the people who are like, I can tell in the morning are stressing you out, then we're also going to try to manage that so that they're not stressing you out for the rest of the day, especially through photos, because I think people can Ooh. have the sense that like, we have to keep things on track. We have to keep things moving. So that's really our job. And so we try to kind of like take that away from the person who ha is carrying that stress. I just never heard that. I mean, you're, first you're talking about getting to know the couple. And for some people, it may be that your interview with them is, is the most reflective couple-related activity that they, that they might do before the wedding. And, and then, you, then you're taking in during the wedding. It's not just the photographs. There's this behind-the-scene negotiation between all the relationships and what's going on and how are we going to get people comfortable, get the stress moved away from the bride or the groom. These are things that, you know, I never thought about at all. I mean, that's the kind of the next level to what we do. A good photographer is going to show up and take great photos, uh, but that's not really enough now. And, um, you know, I've been doing this. I started basically when I was 16, but I've been doing it uh, full time for 10 years. And the further I've gone, the more I can see the day through multiple angles, through multiple people's eyes to kind of, not just see what's going to create a great photo for you, but for your parents and a grandparent and maybe even like what's going to like get your siblings excited um, so that we're really trying to see the day through as many people's lenses as possible. Wow. Um, so that's kind of that, that next level that, you know, doesn't come right away because at the beginning, just being able to see the day through the bride and groom's eyes might be is a full-time job. Uh, but uh, as you go further and can feel more and that becomes more second nature, the more you can kind of take those multiple emotional components in. Yeah. But then there's capturing the moments. What, what is that like? Because you're capturing emotions in a way. I, it, I don't understand it. You know, translating an emotion, which is an inner experience for a person, and then the photo being able to remind people of that feeling that they had at such a critical juncture in their life. How do you, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is um, kind of seeing things before they happen. 
Uh, and that's a big part of, you know, having been doing it so long is that like, we can see these moments taking place, you know, a few seconds ahead so that when we're in place and when the kind of peak of the emotion is happening, that we're in a place to really cinematically capture that. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is we're creating moments throughout the day, especially yeah. in the morning. Um, we're setting the scene often for kind of beautiful moments to take place so that when people are getting ready, they're not just like kind of awkwardly fumbling through it, that uh, they're being guided and their parents are kind of a part of it or whoever's important to them is a part of it and they get to kind of emotionally live that out so we're kind of like we're amping it up a bit in the morning we're creating a bit of drama but then once the wedding starts yeah we are very candid and really just trying to be as much a fly in the wall as possible like by the time the, the wedding's actually happening you don't want to be thinking about me i want to you want yeah. me to be like the wallpaper yeah uh, and so it's a it's a bit of a switch from going from kind of leading the day and directing kind of a lot of what's happening to really stepping back and just looking and hearing and listening keenly. So having done this so many times, how are you moved by those experiences? I think that, you know, depending on what's happening, a lot of what I'm doing is it's a combination of thinking emotionally and being emotionally present, but also it's a very technical medium. And so while I'm listening to somebody say something, I'm thinking about the power of the light on the other side of the room and what aperture setting I should be at. Um, so I am kind of emotionally present uh, in order to capture that. And it's definitely moving, you know, definitely every, at some point every day, it's definitely, it's, it can be quite emotional, uh, especially this year. This year has been, uh, the, the emotions have been amped up tenfold just because I think everybody's been so separated that um, people are being more honest. It's less about show. There's less uh, pomp and circumstance. It's more people showing up for one another and being more emotionally available on the wedding day, which I think is, is great. Um, so there's been, yeah, lots of, lots of beautiful moments every day, but it is this kind of balancing act of, knowing what your other photographer is doing, knowing what the three lights in the room are doing and right. being emotionally right there. So right. It's, it's all of it. Is there a clarity that you have right after a certain photo or a certain thing where you said, that's going to be like, I nailed that. That's incredible. Not always. Sometimes I'll usually know a minute or two later, uh, but there's also the buildup uh, to it where you're, you're almost there. You have this photo that's like 95% of the way there. And usually then you'll keep going and trying to make it better. Uh, but often it's that first photo that you take in the set that actually has all the things coming together. And then you're trying to like recreate the thing that you already made. Uh, yeah, often I know, but not always. What you're doing in a way for people is you're creating emotional energy and power and memory. The last thing I want to ask you is just. What was the most touching, one of the most touching moments that you've had doing a wedding? I think continually and certainly at my own wedding, it's the first look. Uh, and the first look is different in all sorts of different weddings. At uh, Jewish weddings, it might be the bedecking. Um, at other weddings, it's the first look or coming down the aisle. 
but that excitement uh, and the anticipation is really unrivaled because it's funny that it's something you know it's going to happen. You've seen this person like a million times. They're the closest <laughs> person to you. But when you see them on that day, in that moment, um, there's real ecstasy to it. Uh, and even uh, multiple first looks, you know, I had a first look with my wife and, you know, you had the Bedeckin, uh, but then they're still coming down the aisle that's and another you get the look. same thing again, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a different thing. So, you right. know, the first one has this intense energy of like all these guys like marching in or in, you know, my case, it was just a private moment with just me and my wife. Right. Um, and so you have that like private first look uh, where you get to kind of say what you want to say and be really emotional. And then you have the more public one coming down the aisle where it's more um, kind of not stage, but like there's, there's a formality to it. Everyone's just tapped into it. Yeah. There's something about traditions. They, uh, <laughs> right. They, they have power. Yeah. So just the impact that you have on the wedding day for people, it's just strangers, but then you come in and, and for a moment you take center stage, um, on a big moment in their life and then you go on to the next one. So thank you for sharing a lot of that. And, uh, and I hope that, uh, that with COVID and everything that you still continue to, to do amazing work and innovate and all that stuff. Thank um, you. So let's get into change talk. Talk to me about what it, you're thinking about changing, improving, making better for yourself. So I'd really like to have a more regular sleep schedule. It's something that off and on I've worked at uh, my whole life almost and never gotten a hold of for more than like, <laughs> maybe a few weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, even going back to being a kid, I remember staying up till crazy hours. Uh, <laughs> it, I had a little, um, a little alarm clock that had a radio on it and I would listen to the 102.1, the edge until like <laughs> two in the morning when I was in elementary school. <laughs> wow. So ever since you can remember, sleep has been all over the map, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, living in wedding world kind of caters to that or feeds into it often because on weekends, uh, I'll be up, you know, maybe at eight in the morning on a, on a Sunday, and then I'll be working until 11 or midnight. And then I still have to go back to the studio, back up the data. And so I might be home at two in the morning. Uh, and then you have to unwind because your brain has been working crazy. So I'll usually watch some TV and uh, have a glass of wine and then go to bed at like three or four. And then like you can't work the next day. That, then the next day you wake up at 11 or 12 or exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's, and that's when you're on work. But in general, even when you're not working, because you're, you have so much sp sporadic lifestyle, both from work and not work, it, it's, it's just the case that you don't have really regular sleeping. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned your earliest memory of that, or one early memory of that for you is just you being in elementary school, having this alarm clock, which is meant to be the symbol of waking up and regularity and rhythm. And it has a secret tool called the radio. And what you did is you accessed the radio and ended up staying up very late listening to music, you said? Yeah, music and uh, the ongoing history of new music was a very popular show back in the yeah. day. Which just kept you occupied and you would end up 
and then for that night, for example, being in elementary, you were what, 10 or 11 years old and you're going to bed at three o'clock. And I'm guessing waking up at seven or something like that. Yeah, I wasn't the best student in elementary school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I don't think we, just as lip service, we all sort of understand the value of sleep. Um, one that, one uh, sleep discussion that really got to me was Matthew Walker on why we sleep. Wild stuff just about the human necessity, like the absolute unbelievable necessity of like sort of sleeping properly. Um, and it's just so wild how we just like, we don't, so many of us don't have that in our, in our world. Um, you, you included. So give me a, give me a sense. You have one example of the four in the morning to 11 or 12 after a long work day kind of life sleep style. What's another mix that you have? Of well, the mix is that my wife is the best sleeper I've ever met. And yeah. she goes to bed pretty much at 10 every night and wakes up at, I don't know, say seven. Oh and so She's once perfect. in a while, yeah, I'll, I'll be able to fall, fall asleep at the same time as her. Um, but I always get into bed with her and try to fall asleep at that time. And so maybe half the time it works out. So right. that's the kind of variance is that either I'm falling asleep with her or I'm up like an owl. Yeah. So what do you, okay. So let's go to the nights that you don't really go to sleep at the same time as her, or you get out of the bed. What, what, what do you get up to? What's your owl activity? So back in the day, I used to be highly productive at night. I would, you know, continue working and get all sorts of things done, which I really didn't have a problem with. And now as I'm getting older, I really don't at night have the, the capacity to do that. So I'm pretty much just watching TV, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is not the best use of my time. What do you, what do you, what have you sort of get into a binge, something of, of, of some other, or you just like, whatever. Yeah, I'll on. just get into a binge and, uh, and just keep going until uh, my eyes won't stay open. <laughs> right. So that could be like two, three hours or something like that. Yeah. Wow. And then the next day as a result of that, what happens for you? The next day is that I lean on coffee hard. Uh, I'm somebody who I love coffee. Like I'm really into coffee. I, I used to roast my own coffee. I have every device imaginable for making coffee. And so the, uh, the thing that stops you from sleeping and actually messes with your rhythm is like kind of my hobby as well. So uh, right. it kind of, it plays into it. Right. So you wake up whenever you wake up and then it's coffee, coffee, coffee. And, and when's, what's the coffee period of time for you? So immediately when I wake up, yeah. I have to have at least one double shot of espresso. Okay. Um, and then on a, on a night where I was tired, which was like this morning, uh, I was exhausted because uh, we had some crazy work going on at the studio and then I had to be up early again. So it was a two doubles in a row situation. Wow. And then what, when, when is the last, the, the latest time that you'll have some, some coffee in the evening time? So I've been trying to cut it back a bit, but it is realistically is about five, which is way too late. Right. Uh, the half-life of coffee uh, means that it's going to be, it's going to keep me going for a while from there. Right. So even the way you're describing it, you have, there, there just isn't a, there isn't a routine around sleep. It's just sort of, all, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. So For sure. what, do you try to fall asleep sometimes and then get out of the bed? You alluded to the fact that your wife goes to bed at 10. So are there times that you try to go to bed at the same time and then give up very easily? And 
go back to doing yeah it? either i'll give up very easily like i find my heart is just beating fast and i'm like i'm i feel like i could run a marathon right now <laughs> and if i feel like that after you know 20 minutes of trying to fall asleep i'll just get up and go to you know somewhere else uh i read somewhere at some point that <laughs> if you've tried sleeping for at least a half hour you know you're best off to just switch the situation right uh, and then try again uh situation um yeah true but 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 i'm guessing if you switch situation you're getting back to the blue light or to the shows to the potential you're you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're increasing the the awakeness activity when yes. you get out of the bed um cool so basically it's all over the place what about that right now is really working for you as a lifestyle? Uh, just not really um, having regular sleep. And it's been like this forever, right? You, you don't remember a time of getting regular sleep. Is that really fair to say? No, not for more than a few months. Yeah. Right. So years we're talking through your development as a, as a young teenager all the way through. Um, oh, yeah. So what makes it so great? Why do you, why do you like doing it? I think that the night has always been like the quiet time that you have alone. There's no, nobody else is up. Nobody's demanding your attention. There's nobody calling you. There's no emails coming in. Uh, and so it is a nice time to just like watch your own show and, you know, do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the other side of it, but it, there is a nice thing to just having a bit of your own time. So this erratic sleep schedule, this spontaneous free flowing evening is, is a major call of your independence. Yeah, I guess you could say that. But in terms of just, you know, thinking about whatever it is that we do when we've done it for so many years in a row all the time, that's our world. We don't, we don't know anything differently. So it can be kind of weird when we try, even if it's something we want to do positively, it can be really weird and dysregulating to try and regulate something that's not being regulated. So there's sort of like, is there possibly an avoidance of the pain that might come with trying to create a regular sleep cycle? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, it's something that can be hard to do, especially when you're, you're managing, like your body is telling you, I don't want to do that. Uh, and your brain's like, no, you're going to do that. Uh, so, um, it's, uh, it's, it can be a challenge. Right. But even the way you just described that is your body's telling you, you don't, don't do it because your body is used to it. So your body wants what it wants and it's used to sort of a sporadic lifestyle and schedule. And then you're, but you're, but the way you've described the mind doing it, it's like, no, no, no. Like it's almost like that's, it's so annoying. I think there, there's a bit of jealousy of, of my wife who just like, she lies down and within about 10 <laughs> minutes, she's asleep. Uh, and I'm just like lying there staring at the ceiling. Uh, you know, so uh, I think there's more of that, that like, it's just like, oh, this, it's so easy. Just close your eyes and, you know, but. The way you describe the mind telling you, oh, I got to go to sleep is very like punitive almost. Um, yeah, sure. And then there's, um, the frustration that you have because, you know, your wife is a, per is a, you know, a 10 out of 10 sleeper. Sure. So I don't want to be involved in that because staying in the bed would mean I have to just watch how easy it is for this person <laughs> <laughs> who's just perfect at, at, what, at what she's doing. 
I mean, obviously it lends to your work lifestyle. If you were someone who is very regulated in terms of your sleep habits, it may be the case that you wouldn't be able to do the kind of work that you do. For sure. Yeah. I think it, you know, there are long days and you're on weird hours sometimes. Uh, but that said, it would be great to be able to come home at the end of a wedding and just like hit the bed and fall right asleep because, you know, often I have a wedding the next day. Uh, right. And so uh, then I'm really trying to manage, you know, everything throughout the day to make sure I don't, don't have caffeine too late um, or whatever the case may be. Right. So it's not, so even though you end up going to bed at four o'clock after some weddings, you're saying already that you don't really need to do that to be good at what you're doing you could recreate that evening lifestyle, still be at the wedding till the maximal time, but it not end up being four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I have a wedding the next day, I'm not up till four in the morning because right. I've really managed how much caffeine I'm having, when I'm having it. Uh, and the work that I'm doing after is much more like taken care of so that we're out a specific time. I know right. I'm home with enough time to have say seven or six hours of sleep. Right. So it's doable already in that sense. I want to sort of evoke some of the, of the change talk. Um, what, what are reasons why you do want to change? I mean, I think that I, we are more productive when we have a set schedule. Uh, I am more productive when I have had a set schedule that, you know, if you arrive at work at nine in the morning, you get a lot more done than when you arrive at, uh, at 11 and already have, you know, a full inbox uh, of stuff that's come in throughout the morning. Um, so, you know, that's one thing, um, but also just, you know, being tired, like, you know, you don't want to live your life being tired. Yeah. So there's having productivity meaning, meaning that you'll actually be, even though your work requires you to be on for many hours and sometimes have a little bit of an erratic schedule in terms of what your responsibilities are, you would probably be better at what you're doing overall. Uh, yeah, if I think you were so. able to get more sleep. Yeah. yeah. So when are the, have there been times when you've had a regular sleep schedule um, that you can recall and how was your life impacted by that? So I think the only time I can remember, I got really into biohacking at some <laughs> point, like three years ago and uh, got my like sleep phenotype uh, and really worked to not have caffeine at the right times and wear blue blocking glasses and all these crazy things. Um, but it was a lot of work to, <laughs> to, to do it. Um, and, you know, having melatonin exactly an hour before I went, wanted to fall asleep. Um, so that lasted for probably a few months, but it's kind That's of so like extreme, right? It's like, it was I extreme. Wanna, I want to start like, sleeping. And so I have to biohack and do all these elaborate illustrious time consuming things to get just to do it. That's so annoying. For sure. It's like if you were dieting and instead of doing like just a healthy diet, you were like, I'm going to fast for four <laughs> days. That's the way I'm going to get into it. Right. So obviously you've stopped faster than you started. Um, yeah. Or you, you went for a little bit. Um, but, but then other than that time when there was a lot of that strenuous effort, have there been moments where you've been really regular and noticed how much better you felt both personally, professionally? Yeah. So recently I was working with somebody else uh, where uh, he started work at eight in the morning. I had to be there at eight in the morning. 
Uh, and so I was waking up at six, I was at uh, the studio by eight, and then we finished work at four, and then I would go go back uh, home, and I was I was pretty much asleep by ten every night because wow. if you're if you're getting up at six, then for me <laughs> that meant uh, going to bed at ten. Right, and just in general, did you recall any moments of reflection in that time where you're just like, wow, I don't feel as tired. I I like this. Yeah, I think at points, uh, it, I did feel tired, <laughs> to be honest, because I think it went against, some of that went against my natural uh, kind of sleep schedule or what my body kind of wants to do, um, which is probably slightly later and slightly later waking up. But right. um, I think that like getting, you know, started right away and, and kind of moving throughout the day was, was great. Right. So you already have um, just being less tired, being more productive at work. Anything else that stands out to you on a personal level or a professional level or a relational level that would be enhanced through a regular, consistent sleep schedule? I mean, relationally, it would be great to just fall asleep when my wife does. Uh, you know, just that kind of consistency and uh, would be, you know, nice. Yeah. Shared routine together. Yeah. Well, you already have that going for you because some people, you know, obviously we create an environment with the people that we spend our time with. So if your wife was going to bed at sporadic hours like you, it'd be much harder. So you have like a, a partner in crime um, to do that with, even if it's a little bit different, your schedule than, than her schedule. Sure. You know, the health, not feeling tired, um, and I think that also ties into the amount of caffeine you're having, uh, and, you know, just having regularity to your, to your schedule. Right. So you really want to have, and then, so the sleep is going to require other things in your life to be changed, um, or modified in some way to get into a sleep routine. Sure. So this is a big topic. Because in, in certain ways, it's almost on and off. And I, I'll speak from personal experience that I've, since the pandemic or so started, I, I was like you until very recently. Um, I, for the longest time, once I basically got a computer when I was 13 years old, I, it was just a license to like, that with a phone. Then it just, and this is even before, way before smartphones. It was just new activities, new opportunities. Once things were less boring, um, it was much harder to do anything to, to get to sleep, which is kind of can be boring. And that just carried over for, for over a decade longer, 10, 15 years. I'm 28 now. So up until when I was 27, like really up until like seven months ago, I was all over the place in terms of sleep um, and also not sleeping enough hours. And then I just started to do it. I, I just started to sleep. Um, part of that was that I, for the first time, I regularly put the alarm of my phone on a different part of the bedroom, which is like a trick that people do. But I did that regularly. And what was crazy is that it actually, when the alarm went off, I actually got up and didn't think about, I maybe thought for a second about going back to bed, but I was just like against my entire body. I just ran, basically ran out of the room. And I still do that. Like I just literally get out of bed and run out of the bed and like, that's it. 
So I'm just saying it's possible. Like I, I just was able to do that and I'm still shocked about it in a way. Um, it's now been like eight months where I'm pretty much regularly sleeping seven to eight hours and getting up around the same time, going to sleep around the same time and not sleeping in with my alarm. It was hard. It was very hard. It still is hard. And there's a lot of steps that would go into that. And I'm wondering how you would even want to start going about doing this, given your lifestyle and how you want to live, how you want your independence, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really good step of not having your phone by the side of the bed, uh, which I've never actually tried, even though I know that it's a good idea. Um, just be, my wife started doing it maybe a year ago where she leaves her phone to charge in the kitchen rather than uh, by the side of the bed. So the first thing that she looks at in the morning is not Instagram, it's <laughs> the toothbrush, basically. Right. Um, <laughs> so um, I think that, that that's a really good idea and using, you know, either having it across the room or using a traditional alarm clock and keeping the phone not even in the room. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's just one thing that you can do, and, but it really is a huge difference maker. I mean, you could just turn off the alarm and go back into the bed, but you'll have more choice in, in, the, in, the, in the meantime. But there's all these other sorts of things that are going to go into that. So if you were to decide to do one thing, to move you in the direction of getting a better, having a better sleep schedule, it would be moving the phone away? I think it would be that. And it would also be not drinking coffee after probably like lunch. Yeah. You know, I think I, I have looked into this and I'm a slow caffeine metabolizer. There's people who metabolize it really fast and it doesn't really affect them, but that's not the case for me uh, because I know that if I have even a Diet Coke at like 6 p.m., I'll probably be up all night. So I really wow. have to push that back. Right. Um, so, and those are two things. It's like if you continue not to do those things, it'll be almost imp impossible. Like the coffee sounds like the biggest thing right now for you. Yeah, I mean, if you have a drug that's telling you, you're not tired, you're not tired, then you're probably not going to be tired. Right. So, yeah, I think Matthew Walker mentioned, I think it was like one or two o'clock on average. Like you mentioned, everyone has a different uh, way that they metabolize the caffeine. But as a baseline, it was like one or two and then like, just don't do it. Don't, don't have it and see how that impacts you. Yeah. Is that terrifying for you a little bit? Uh, I think so. I think that there's, you know, there would be a period of adjustment to put it uh, <laughs> plainly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great time for periods of adjustment because there, you know, there's less demands on you. I'm working, you know, a lot from home. And so, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're a little bit groggy one day. So, yeah. Right. So, and again, I, I always, for the change talk, I really try to make it real for people that they're going to do whatever they say, hopefully, because people are really doing what they've set out to do. And so we're not getting into what time exactly you want to go to sleep, what time exactly you want to wake up, all that. There's so many other things, but it sounds like if you even have to choose one of those that you think you'll really do, or do you, do you feel confident that you can make those adjustments on those two areas to move? Yeah, you let's make this happen. So I'm gonna when I get off the call, I'm gonna go move my phone charger. That'll be the first thing. Yeah. Okay. So you're gonna move your phone charger, which means your phone's gonna be charging on the table, the bed, the bedside, or I'm sorry, not the bedside, on the dresser or something like that. 
Yeah, or you know what? Maybe I'll put it in the kitchen with my wife so they can charge together. But you have an alarm clock? I do have an alarm clock. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's, it's radical. I'm just telling you, this is very radical. It's, it's, it's a radical move. But yeah. I can pretty much, from the little experience I have on this, I can pretty much guarantee if you don't drink the caffeine after a certain time and you move your phone out of your room or even put it out of distance, the likelihood is, is like you've reduced some of the biggest barriers to, to this uh, that, that you have, other than the fact that you might snooze, which is a whole other world. You know what? On this alarm clock, whenever I try to press snooze, for some reason the radio turns on really loud and I end up like having to spend like five <laughs> minutes like yes. figuring out all these buttons. Perfect. So I think that that might be solved for me. Perfect. Okay. So, and the caffeine, do you feel like you can want to make a commitment on that or do you not want to make a commitment on that? I, this is I will relative. try to make this it. Is not a t- there's no, this is like a generalized thing, right? There's obviously exceptions to, to this, but. For sure. Um, yeah, let's, let's make that commitment. Let's do it. Okay. So no promises, but these are the kind of things you're thinking about. So Ryan's got moving the phone out of the room, putting it with his wife's, which is a nice thing. Put the phones together and then stay together in the same bed and try and go to sleep at the same time. It's a whole other world, but get into rhythm with, with your wife and um, uh, the, the caffeine intake to a couple hours probably earlier than what you're used to and seeing how this impacts. So there's no expectation that you're going to all of a sudden have perfect sleep coordination in terms of, the regularity, but those are two things that you can do right here and now that you've made a declaration to, to the public. I think those are realistic. Sounds good. Okay. So Ryan is making moves towards sleep and I hope that your change talk can in some small way, inspire other people. There's probably a lot of people thinking about how they're trying to navigate their sleep, um, COVID and uncovid related. So thank you so much for bringing this to the table for everybody. And I hope it was somewhat helpful for you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Don't forget to follow us on social media to keep updated on all our content. We are at Change Talk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Change Talk Pod on Twitter. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. Music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change. <laughs>